Welcome to this episode of Inside Publishing, the series where we interview industry experts on everything publishing. Today's episode hones in on production problems the publishing industry is facing currently. We talk about budgets, Brexit and strains to the supply chain before casting our focus to the future and speculate on what publishers and consumers alike can expect in five years time from boot production in the UK. So hello, today I'm joined by Fazana Khan, who is the production controller at Hachette Children's Group. Thank you for joining us. How are you today? I'm good and thanks for having me. How are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm good too. Really excited to um, pick your brain on lots of different things to do with the production department in publishing. One thing that I would like to kick us off, could you just give us a brief summary for our listeners about your role and responsibilities? So I'm a production controller at Hachette Kids and that includes like working on front list titles. So I work over um, our Lawrence King children's list, which is like gifty books. I also work over the um, picture book and gift list, which is like big kids picture books. And then I also work on the Red and Rook list, which is like nonfiction, young adult, just colour and also mono. So it's like a big range. And I also, like six months ago, was asked to help control the ebooks for Hachette children. So I oversee them. And on top of that, at Hachette, I also work at Thrive Committee, which is the employee network for BAME employees. So I do like the book club stuff, which is quite fun. But that's also included in my role because Hachette want you to get involved and it's allowed to be as part of your job. It's not on the side. So that's kind of what I do. Yeah, uh, it certainly sounds like you've got quite a mixed bag there and kind of uh, fingers in lots of pies, as it were, to do with the production side. Part of the reason that I picked to speak to you was that children's books I find to be very interesting and exciting from a production standpoint. They're engineered to be colourful, captivating. There's loads of different techniques and tools that are used in order to engage young readers. So I wanted to get your opinion on what kind of challenges are specifically involved in the production of children's books. So having worked in both adult and kids, I definitely find kids more fun. I found that adults, there was very like, you know, you've got your set formats, you've got your hardback demise, your hardback royals, your paperback Bs and your paperback As. Whereas at kids, you've got a wide range of formats. So we have like standard ones that you'll see in the shops that just fit onto the bookshelves. But this, sometimes we do like massive bigger ones, which are not so standard. Sometimes we'll do like tiny little ones, which are also not standard. So we work with tons of like printers all around the world, which is brilliant because means we're making like way more contacts way more friends and when they move around places or we move around places it's nice to kind of bring them with us so you know when I worked at Canongate which was an adult we worked mainly with one printer in the UK and that was our adult books and our black and white books but the odd time when we would have a color book we would use certain printers maybe in Europe or China so when I moved to Hachette Kids because we use these printers like in Europe and China all the time there were some contacts I had that I brought with me which was quite nice because I work in the Lawrence King kind of gifty book list it's quite fun looking into like new finishes and new papers that I can use if I was an adult for example you wouldn't you'd be kind of limited but kids is just yeah you can just kind of throw more fun things at it and it's that's what I like about it but it's also challenging 
So you asked about what the challenges are involved is that is also challenging because although it's fun, it's also very different and you've got to look into it yourself. I suppose when you're boiling down to budgets as well, because as you've already touched upon, you've got loads of different sizes, you've got different colours that you're working with. It's not quite as specifically like monochrome. That in itself must generate different costs, I suppose, and different logistics to factor in. As you said, because you're relying on a greater network of people in order to get that product out. Yeah, definitely. And also when we're on different formats, sometimes it's four color inside, sometimes it's two color. Because it's not like these set formats, set interiors. We have like scales with printers. It means that we've got kind of set prices. So it's easier for adult publishers to do that. Whereas in kids, it's sometimes a bit different. So it means we've got to like get quotes from lots of different publishers and sit and compare them, figure out which is cheaper, which schedule's better, all that kind of thing. Whereas an adult, you would stick to your printer that is probably in the UK and you would have your set prices. So you wouldn't have to do all that kind of thing. But it's fun. It's, it's a lot of work. And sometimes you've got to like really sit and use your brain. You can't just like churn it out. So I usually leave those to my office days. <laughs> Not when I'm working from home. So you've touched upon some of the problems that are centred around children's publishing. However, there's been a lot of press at the moment surrounding just general products. And there's a, a multitude of culprits that are causing problems. I think COVID and Brexit are on people's tongues working with China as a printer. And obviously that in itself has transportation issues. It's not just around the corner from the UK. So can you highlight some other areas that may be relatively unspoken of in departments outside of production? I think a lot of the issues that are coming up with the production stuff at the moment are now kind of being spoken about quite a lot, actually, even outside of production. So one of them is like supply chain issues like paper. So that's quite a big one at the moment. If we want to print anything in Europe right now, we need to confirm the order about nine months in advance of the print date, which is quite difficult because it means that we need to know how many books we want to print about 14 months ahead of pub date. Because usually between print date and pub date, there's about five months. So that's a bit of a nightmare because how are we supposed to know how we think it's going to sell in like over a year's time? So that's an issue, but luckily that's a problem that sales have to deal with because they need to come up with the numbers. We just need to wait for that. But yeah, I think at the moment... The shipping is probably the biggest issue, but it's not as bad as it was last year. Last year, I remember we were struggling to find ships to put the books on. And then obviously there was that problem with the Suez Canal where that that boat was stuck. So that kind of delayed everything. And the costs are rising on paper and on shipping. But you'd mentioned like Brexit. So at Hachette Kids, we do like a lot of co-editions for international publishers. Say I've got one book, it's printing for the UK. We might also print it for Italy, France and Spain or something. And they have, you know, their their text is obviously in their languages. And if we want to print that in Europe, we have to have the book sent out to our warehouse. So say it's printing in Spain and, and the, the customer is also in Spain. We still have to get the book sent out of Spain into the UK, into our warehouse. And then we need to send them back into Spain. And that's because that's of Brexit. It's just mental. And then obviously we have these issues with like global warming. But then because of Brexit, we can't not bring these lorries like across Europe just a bit of a nightmare and then obviously that's expensive certainly it's a domino effect it's probably the best way that i can put it because as you mentioned with the suez canal that then starts a ripple effect of everything else that you've then got to rejig in light of that instance to then make sure that things go smoothly 
with you saying that you specifically work in the the gift book section do you think that you face different problems? No, not really. I mean, so when we when I say that we do like gift books, it just means, I mean, they're nicer than standard picture books, but they're not like dead high spec or anything. So it might have like, so at the moment we're using like a textured paper and we're print, printing the cover on that instead of just a standard paper on one of our titles. And some of them are like printed on Wiblin, so they just are a bit nicer and they're maybe more foiled and more like things like that or maybe we use head and tail bands or nicer quality paper inside and that kind of thing it's kind of a common fact that different retailers pay different prices for stock of your books and the industry as a whole so the likes of amazon and supermarkets in particular are known for getting big discounts how does this affect the budgets that you deal with when making the books? Do you have to keep this in mind? So yeah, so this is more a sales question. Like, so we every month have our like print confirm meetings where the print numbers, like the, the signed off numbers that we're going to print are discussed between inventory, sales, production and finance. And in prep for these meetings, production controllers run costings on their own titles so that everything is clear to those in the meeting. So for example, every... PDF will kind of say this is how much production margin we're making from this title and then they will decide the print numbers based on that so we factor in these retailer discounts we've got like this kind of template that we just kind of run on each title depending on what it is so if it's if it's non-fiction we've got like a non-fiction sales template if it's like a standard fiction book we've got a standard fiction template if it's a gift book it's a standard gift template so production we don't really have to worry about that it's just kind of like integrated into our processes but I guess that's how we deal with it that's how we figure out our budgets by pulling through these templates that have been pre-decided by sales something that I was aware was that you started to become part of the digital publishing of ebooks now I imagine that the production of those is quite different could you give me a bit of information about that so we when it comes to the ebooks we don't really worry too much about the cost none of that is signed off when we do ebooks we don't convert them in-house we get them done at a conversion house like an an external one and they kind of you know we just send the pdf and send the cover so it's all pretty simple and then we just distribute it ourselves in-house but at the moment we're trying to be more um like make our ebooks more accessible so we have just done our first trial of like an alternative text ebook all the images and all the illustrations we have in the ebook so so it might run through the story and then if an image comes it will say image of a small boy in a red hat pointing at the sky or something so it will tell you what the image says so this is something fairly new that we're doing so that's been a bit of a challenge but actually I think it's going to become industry standard eventually so we're just going to making a start on it but that means because we're doing that it's a lot more work it's a lot more expensive but it's definitely worthwhile having you know I think our ebooks should be accessible to everybody especially that we're, since we're a children's publisher you know we want everyone to be reading and then they'll keep reading through like their lives so that's been quite nice and actually that's like probably one of the first things I did when I'd given the ebook responsibility because that was already in the process well the discussions were in process and I just had to make it happen so that was quite fun and now it's done and it just seems a bit easier than I thought it was but I suppose you've on a tangent you've got the likes of TikTok and things like that a massive surge in people adding those kind of closed captions that are effectively what you're saying there. And even with this podcast that we've got here, we've just got in the works of the other way around of people that are, their hearing is impaired, of creating transcripts to then create more accessibility 
for the content that we're creating. If we roll it back to problems in production, do you find that the ebooks jump through a lot of the, the loops that we've already talked about? So Brexit, COVID, transport, because by their nature, they don't really come under those. Yeah, the ebooks are not problematic at all. They're just a dead easy. I mean, we can get them turned around in like three days or something if we need them. The standard's like a week, but yeah, they're really quick. And actually, as soon as everything is done with, with the print title, it's gone to print, then we'll just do the ebooks and everything should be plain sailing. They're a very different medium, aren't they? That's, you know, certainly gained popularity since the late 2000s. So <laughs> do you read ebooks or do you read print books? I am more of a print book kind of girl, in all honesty. I, I think they have their place. I always used to have them when I was studying, mainly because you can search words and things like that. But I think ultimately there's still the demand for physical content, definitely. Yeah, I agree. I like having stuff that I've read on my shelf, like that satisfaction when you close the book and then you can just put it back. But you don't get that with ebooks. I suppose it swings and roundabouts, really, because the main advantage of your ebooks is that if you've got War and Peace, you haven't got to particularly worry about this big lump of a book in your bag. Yeah, that's true. But also, if you're reading it, say you're reading it in, like, at home, you want to know how far along you are. Whereas, like, in it, you know, so you can do that with a print. I know it's like a big brick, but it's nice to know when you're halfway through. I agree with you there. I mean, I know that some of the technology is advanced to the point whereby it will do, but there's, there's still some people with like 15-year-old tablets that are working perfectly fine that have that uh, capability. Something that I wanted to touch upon was an article that I came across in April of this year. So it was released by The Times, and I thought it was quite poignant because it was dealing with kind of the psychological barriers to book pricing, so I imagine children's books, some of the ones that you've spoken about, do not really hit that £9.99 barrier, but it still kind of centres around that mark. A point that I wanted to pick upon was that book prices in Europe fetch a higher price already. What needs to take place, in your opinion, for the UK to push past that £9.99 barrier? Does Hachette see that as a problem even? I think as publishers are all so competitive they keep their paper ma- paperbacks or even the hardbacks or anything around the same price. So I think once a publisher puts their prices up, then another publisher will probably think, oh, we can put ours up too. You know, we've like c- coming off print books for a second, like with ebooks, with the alt text, we are doing a trial on one of our books, but we're not going to keep it going in the others for a wee while, just because it's it's such an added expense. I mean, we're going to keep, we're going to keep trying as much as we can, but Hachette haven't said, right, this is what we're doing right from now because we're waiting to see what other publishers are doing. And I think other publishers are also all on kind of standby waiting to see what other publishers are doing. And I think eventually it will be like, we will all have to do it. That You know, we're waiting for the publishers association to like say to us, right, this is now what you have to do. And then everyone will start doing it. But until we're told we have to do it, everyone's waiting. So I think it's probably the same with print prices, because I guess if you've got a book about, I don't know, say you had like something like the Dolly Alderton, everything I know about love. And then there was a similar book by like someone's doing the same kind of thing, but it was a lot cheaper. We all kind of go on bestsellers. But if you were in the bookshop and you didn't go on bestsellers, you'd go for the cheapest one. So I guess it's waiting to see what everyone else does before anyone else does anything, which is like chicken and egg. Could you tell me a little bit more then about the Publishers Association and what place that has in your department? It sounds as if you've got to pay deference to it. So it's like the teacher and we're the students waiting for the command to go ahead. 
I actually, I don't know too much about it and I don't know if it's exactly like that. I think it's just they are the ones when it comes to publishing stuff that lays with the government. That's what I understand from it. So if there is government advice to like to do alt text in your eBooks and that's that you've got to do it, you don't have a choice, then they will be the ones that the government, I guess, speak to about it or that they will liaise or they'll be discussing it together. That's how I understand it. Maybe that's wrong. Maybe if anyone that's listened to this podcast knows any more, you can like give me an insight. Yeah, yeah, it'd be it would be interesting to find out because no one wants to be the first one to break the mold. I think that's part of the the issue that publishers are trying to contend with the cost of living, the cost of literally everything, you know, petrol for your transportation, as you were saying, just wanting different flourishes on your your books, all of those things add up to more and more money. Therefore, supposedly your profit margin then becomes smaller and smaller. I mean, it would just mean we would then be encouraged, I guess, to then print longer. So have higher print runs so that that cost can be spread across like more units. If we printed 100 copies, you know, then that startup price or maybe that transport cost isn't spread just between the 100. Whereas if we printed 1,000, you know, then it's kind of divvied out a wee bit more. I mean, we've got some fixed costs, you know, every time we print something to turn the machine on and the printer's on we have like a set price and then after that each uh, unit is a certain price so say to turn on the machine it's 200 pounds and then after that each unit's going to be 15 pounds so that 200 pounds is going to be spread across that 100 as well as the 15 pence whereas if it was a thousand copies that 200 would be spread across a thousand copies plus 15 pence per unit so i mean it just like the, we need to maybe print longer but then you don't want to have all these books in your warehouse that aren't selling and then you've got to pulp them yeah, it's a vicious cycle. And I suppose you're you're talking from the experience of Hachette, which is one of the big five that probably have a bit more power to do bigger print runs. There's also the question of smaller publishers whereby they've got to navigate it in a slightly different route. Would you say that changing the print runs is probably more of the go-to option than, say, changing the, the flourishes? I mean, I think definitely at Hachette, we are careful with it. I mean, I guess where you don't want to put stuff on a book just for the sake of having it on the book. Say, like, a, co- a cover is printing four colour and then someone wants it to be five colour with a Pantone or a fluorescent ink. You know, do we need the fluorescent ink? Can we get that in four colour that, you know, doesn't make a difference? Well, I had a title last week. It's like the second in a series and the first in the series had a foil on the paperback. And it, the foil on the paperback looked so nice. It was such a lovely book. And then the second in the series, the foil didn't work quite as well because it was like a the, the whole design, the cover was slightly different. And then there was a discussion about whether we should keep it because it was it's like following a, um, a series design or whether we should take off because it's a waste of money. And we took it off. Luckily, I was like, please, let's let's just get rid of it. But so it's like decisions like that are becoming more more of a thing. We've got to think about whether it actually needs it or whether you're just going to throw, throw foil at it so that it's got foil on it. And I guess that ties into thinking of the longevity of your book. As you were saying, your lead times are much longer. Usually we do about five months ahead of pub. That's when we would give the printer their order confirmation, basically. But now in Europe, it's having to be a lot earlier because they don't have paper. And also, I think a thing with paper is that we don't, like there's certain stocks that we want to use and that we don't want to use. Like it has to be, I guess, certified paper. We don't just want to use anything or not know what we're using. And all the publishers are doing that now as well. 
we all want the same paper. I hadn't really factored in the ecological aspect to printing as well. How does that factor into production? Do you find that it garners a higher price point? Yeah, I mean, FSC paper is, is a lot more expensive. We also, we use printers that have had checks, you know, there's not, we do checks to make sure there's no like child labour or that everyone's getting paid fairly, everyone's doing like fair hours. We make sure we're using the right suppliers. I guess all these kind of compliance things that have to be adhered to do make it slightly more expensive. Otherwise, if we could just go to any printer and we can get any cheap cost, but we don't know what we're feeding. We don't want to promote bad labour practices. Yeah, yeah, it's just a moral sense of duty as well as paying for your staff and obviously trying to turn a profit. There's so many other factors which need to be contemplated. And especially in today's society, you touched upon very briefly about global warming. Publishers have to do their bit to contribute to a a healthier world. Hopefully we'll be able to uh, deliver direct to Spain from a Spanish printer soon. But as you said, you're having to kind of navigate circumstances, a lot of which are kind of outside of your control as well. Yeah. And especially, I guess, when Brexit happened, like when thing, when all the kind of things came into play, everything changed in production. We all had to learn like completely new ways to do things. You know, what we knew before, and this was during COVID as well, when everything changed because of Brexit, that we then had to learn lots more things. And that was complicated, especially when you're learning at home. And you can't like sit around your team and kind of go over it together. Like, you know, the new process for sending co-eds their books or getting our books into the warehouse or how we, all this extra paperwork we then have to do. I think we've probably picked apart my next question a little bit, but what would you say is the future of production in the UK? You said about at the moment, the UK is taking some responsibility for creating books for other countries because of the problems overseas. Honing in on the UK, what do you think publishers, booksellers and consumers can expect in, say, the next five, ten plus years? Firstly, so when I said that we're printing for other publishers, it's not because they can't do it, it's because they print our books and we hold the rights. So they then do the deals with our rights team. So we make a profit from them. So they might want us to print it. So they pay us a certain amount and then we make a such a, a certain amount of profit and that leads to our profit at the end of the year. So that's why we do that. We've always done co-eds. It's not a Brexit thing, but I think something that maybe will change in production is, and we've kind of spoken about this, is the lack of finishes. I think during COVID, when everyone was ordering books online, people are like buying books based on like a tiny little thumbnail that they're seeing on Amazon. They don't see the foil, they don't see the spot, they don't see the mat lamb or anything. You know, we certainly took finishes off some of our covers for reprints. And you see, I don't know if you've seen like the Penguin Modern Classics, I think even before COVID, they like completely stripped all their finishes off it and they're just UV varnish. And people buy them anyway, because it's these kind of book, if people want to buy the book, they'll buy the book. It's not always, I know sometimes it is about the cover, but when it comes to, I guess, stuff that are classic, like the modern classics, people will buy them. I think maybe that's probably the biggest thing that I can think of at the moment is probably getting rid of fancy finishes, especially when online is growing so much. Well, people say judge a book by its cover, but a lot of consumers have also been pivoting to ebooks, to to audiobooks even. Like I recall being a little bit peeved that I had the audiobook of June and I was listening to it and then suddenly the film comes out and the little thumbnail changed to be a tie-in for the film. I didn't expect that to happen. I mean, it makes sense that they can go in and change those little details because then they don't have to consider the cost of foil because it does not exist within that context, I suppose. 
Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, I guess, would you have bought the book if it was a film tie-in edition? Probably not. I think it's generally accepted that most people, if they have that choice, probably will steer away from a TV tie-in, unless it has maybe a cost implication and it's a little bit cheaper. I might be making vastly uninformed like assumptions but it seems far less important if I had the ebook or if I've got the audiobook because I'm engaging in a different format for it what do you think I don't like film tie-ins people will go into a bookshop we've done a heartstopper one recently and I guess people will go in they'll recognize Nick and Charlie from Netflix so that makes sense. But I think for me, I would never pick the film tie-in. And I think maybe it's because when we talk about ebooks and audiobooks, you're engaging with that format normally for a different reason, apart from the tangibility of the object. It doesn't center around that nearly as much because you are either listening to it or you might have an ebook for convenience. So that is all we have time for today. So many thanks again to Fazana. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. Yeah, that was thank you so much for asking me to chat on you. It's been really fun. Thank you also for our listeners. I've been your host, Shiv, on today's episode of Inside Publishing. If you want to check out more of our content, then head over to Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Otherwise, we'll see you next time. Bye.